0: You guys can have a seat. Thank you so much, uh, praise team, for, for your ministry and for um, this wonderful worship set. What a great way to start worship. Uh, I want to welcome all you guys here to church um, in person. And uh, if you're watching online, we're so glad that you've joined us today. Um, if you're in Portland or Arizona and Alaska, uh, I'm really excited. Obviously, this was a big weekend for us to start Sabbath schools again and um, to see all your smiling faces. And this is actually the most people that we've had in church for an entire year. Like we hit the highest numbers. And and I'm so thankful because it's just, it's you guys. And I'm so happy to see your faces and to worship uh, with you guys today. And um, we're so thankful for our online audience as well. Uh, We are starting a brand new four-part series. So it's just for the month of April, a four-part series. And it's called Before You Go before you go and uh, I'm gonna start off the series this weekend next weekend and then we have our awesome closer Pastor Jonathan coming in in weeks three and four to finish off this series. so it's kind of a tag team thing and we've been working on it together and uh, we kind of had like a crazy brainstorm session this past week. we stayed at a church till like 11 pm trying to figure out kind of where we where God wants to take this series and we landed here and I think it's gonna be really really awesome and I think it's gonna be really really important for some people, and I hope it's going to be a blessing, but there's a, a specific group of people that I'm really hoping that this message will read. The series is called Before You Go, and um, in all honesty, there are two main groups that I'm really speaking at, and again, I hope everyone gets a blessing, but I'm thinking of two specific people, groups of people. The first are our high school seniors. Where are you at, high school seniors? That's That's horrible. You- <laughs> Leave me hanging like that? Come on. All right. So this series, part of it is for uh, our high school seniors before you go. Before you leave high school and before you leave this church to go to college. It's some stuff that I I really want to put that's on my heart that I want to share with you guys before you go. But it's also directed to people who are at a place where you're considering disengaging from your faith. And, And you've kind of been like, I've been going to church for a long time. I don't know if it's really for me anymore. Or maybe some stuff happened. Or maybe COVID, just like this pandemic, just ruined you. And you're like, I'm not sure if I'm about that church life anymore. I'm not sure about this Bible stuff anymore. I'm not sure about God anymore. And like I'm just questioning. And so I really want to speak to people who are in that place. And even if you have actually kind of disengaged in the past and you're still here, I'm so thankful and you're still watching. I think this message, I really want you to have an open mind. To think upon the words that God is going to share through this message. So that's why it's called Before You Go. Before You Go. Before You Go. And we're going to be providing some questions and thoughts to think about before you make a huge decision. Like before you go and leave the faith you grew up in. So this is a, a tall task. A big thing that we're, we're hoping for and praying for uh, during this series. So uh, I'm going to call upon God. I'm going to ask him to be with us as we as we go into the message. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for each person in this place. I thank you for each person who is in their journey of faith. Lord, whether they're at the beginning or if they're struggling or if they're at a a hill and a mountaintop or if they're in a valley. God, you've called us all together in this place for whatever reason. And Father, I believe this message, God, you want to reach people. and You want to make an impact in people's lives. I thank you so much for, for everyone here. And I pray, God, for us to be super, super duper aware of your presence, Father. In your name, we pray. Amen. In John chapter six, Jesus goes and begins teaching a huge group of people, and some scholars believe that this is one of the largest groups of people that Jesus actually spoke to. And I've talked about this, um, and and in this chapter, John chapter six, it's actually a ton of verses. Like it goes up into the sixties, and um, in this chapter, we have one of the most beautiful uh, titles that God has for Himself, or Jesus has for Himself the bread of life and we just sang about that in that last song the bread of life but and and what you may not know is that this sermon though was a highly controversial sermon the the, the message that Jesus gave in John chapter 6 it made a lot of people decide to stop following him it made a lot of people uh, choose not to follow and worship and, 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 and go along with Jesus anymore. Because he says some wild stuff in this message. Now, I'm not going to go into detail. But he says some crazy things. And the response of the people, you see it in John chapter 6, is on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? You know, if you're at a place in, in your life where you maybe, like, are thinking about disengaging from faith and you're not really sure, you can probably resonate this with this. Because you've probably been in church and you heard some wild stuff. Or some preacher or pastor was up on stage saying some crazy things about, like, the evils of cheese and, like, all these, like, crazy things. And you're like, what are you even talking about? And, and, and maybe that's an actual sermon that one of my professors heard from a, a pre- preacher. It was a sermon about cheese, and like I'm offended by that, because I love cheese, even though I'm lactose intolerant, but anyway, that's not the point. um so so you've probably heard some crazy things in church, and you're like, "Dude, I don't know about that. you know I, I don't know about what what he just said. I don't know if I can get down get down with that." And so Jesus like understood the heart of the people. you know people are like rumbling and mumbling and grumbling, and he kind of senses it, and he knows what's what's going on in their mind. and then so he asked the question in john chapter six uh, John chapter six sixty seven he says you do not want to leave too, do you? So he's talking now to like his closest disciples, the 12 disciples, the guys that we know about. And he says, all these people are leaving and and, and they're walking out the door right now. You, you don't want to leave too, do you? And this is like such an important question, guys. This is such a relevant question. Because no matter where you are in your walk of faith, that is a question you will ask. Like no matter how fervently and passionately you believe in God and how much you love church, at one point in time, you will ask this question, should I leave? I don't know if this is for me anymore. Like I have some questions and then the pastor's They don't really give me great answers. You know, I have all these really difficult questions and I'm wrestling with these things. But my parents and the leaders, they just kind of give me these simplistic answers that make no sense to me. And they're like, just believe. And and you will go through a time where you're not sure if this is what you want to do anymore. If you want to actually commit to following Jesus. You're going to ask this question. And I know when you're going to ask this question. You're going to ask this question. Most people ask this question in a time of transition. So if you are ever in a time of transition, you will struggle with this question. That's why I'm talking to our high school seniors. Because you guys are about to experience one of the biggest transitions you will ever experience in your life when you leave your childhood home with your parents, with your family and move to a college campus all by yourself. This is a big deal. This is a huge transition. And it's it's that transition that what you experience and how you experience things differently than you once did, that will make you wonder the question, am I really a follower of Jesus? Do I really want to keep doing this? Because you're going to go to to school and you're going to meet a lot of new people and they're going to be different than the ones you grew up with and different than the people at your church. You're going to be at a place where your parents are no longer waking you up and making you go to church and you now have to choose for it on your own. And then your friends maybe not, they're not really into church. Your friends may be not very involved in church. And so in those moments when you're in a new place, new people, new experiences, you will wonder, should I leave too? Or if you go from college to your first job, or you go from one job to another job which requires you to move to a different place meet different people, and you're like, you know, the people here, like, it's not that important. Whereas back home, it was really important. In that time of transition, you will wonder. I mean, this is even when you go from, like, you know, elementary school to middle school, middle school to high school, these times of transition are very difficult. And a lot of times, it's your faith that comes under attack. And you ask the question, should I leave? And the reason that you may consider this is not because, and this is really important, guys, it's not because you don't think it's true. The reason you will consider leaving Jesus is not because you don't believe it happened and that Jesus was real. It's because you will realize that it's just too hard to follow Jesus now. It was much easier before where I was before, but now it's a lot harder because no one else is doing it. You, you will choose, you will question whether or not you should continue to follow Jesus, not because you don't think it's true, but because it doesn't seem to matter anymore. Because it doesn't matter to all these people, all these, these new coworkers, these new neighbors, these new friends. They don't seem to care that much about Jesus, but they're doing fine. And you'll wonder, should I should I leave too? Or it'll just be too hard and it's just so much more convenient, right? It's just so much more convenient To skip church. It's just so much more convenient to not show up that day. It's so much more convenient and easier. It's hard to get up and get dressed and go to church or go to small group. It's just so much easier to stay at home, stay in bed, relax. And you're like, oh, isn't that what the Sabbath is about anyway? It's just so much easier. These are the reasons why you're going to consider it. Not because you don't think it's true. But because it might just be too inconvenient Or it may not seem to matter, or it may just be too too costly. So this is a really, really important question for each and every one of us to think about, which we don't often think about. And so the beauty of what happens in this story is actually not in the question Jesus asks, it's actually in the answer that Peter gives. And this is huge, okay. And you know, usually Peter is known in the Bible to say the dumb things, right. He's like the guy who says the thing. And you're like, Peter, you need to be quiet. Stop talking, right. He's, he's that. and He just says the wrong thing. But in this moment, he says a brilliant thing. He says something amazingly uh, insightful. And this is what he says. After Jesus says, you, don't want to, you, you do not want to leave too, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. To whom shall we go? You don't want to leave. Well, Jesus, honestly, I, I kind of do. Because you just said some crazy things. You just, said, you just talked about how we need to eat your flesh and drink your blood. So that's kind of crazy. And, and I don't know if I really want to be associated with that. People are starting to cut me out of their lives because of this. I, I'm, I'm going to give up stuff. I'm going to not experience things because of this. So yeah, if, you're, if you want me to ask, answer honestly, Jesus, I kind of want to leave because it's getting real weird here and it's getting really inconvenient. But seriously, Jesus, to whom shall we go? Like where, where, where else will we go? You see, Peter understood something really, really important that a lot of us don't understand and a lot of us especially those who have walked away or the people in our lives who have walked away from this, their faith he, they did not understand what peter understood what he understood was this choosing not to follow jesus means choosing to follow something or someone else okay let me say that again choosing not to follow jesus anymore means you're choosing something or someone else to follow It means that when you back away from Jesus, you're backing into something else. It means that when you say no to Jesus, you are saying yes to something else. And this is so important for us to understand. Because people think that when you walk away from faith, you're just walking into a neutral space. People think that when you say, you know what, I'm going to reconsider this whole Bible thing and this Jesus thing. I'm not sure if I'm really down with this. I have doubts. I have questions. Let me step away from the faith. You think you're, you're, you're stopping in a neutral zone, a neutral space, neutral territory where you can kind of be away from influences and, and, and other people and just really think through what you think and what you believe. But that's not true. See, what we have to understand is when we choose not to follow Jesus, you're actually choosing to follow something or someone else. And people are thinking, you know, I'm not leaving Jesus and I'm going to change religions. Right? Most people in the church who walk away from it, they're not like... I'm going to leave Christianity, I'm going to leave Jesus, and then I'm going to become a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Scientologist. Like, that's not, I mean, that happens, but it's more rare. Most people are thinking, I just don't know if I can follow Jesus anymore. Let me stand in this place for a little while and kind of figure things out. But here's the problem with that. That territory, that space where you're trying to figure things out, it is not neutral. It's not an empty space. It's not unbiased. That space that we're talking about when you're trying to figure stuff out, what the Bible calls it, what Jesus calls that, he calls it the world. And so when we when we say no to Jesus, even though you're not actually articulating it this way, you are saying yes as you enter into that not neutral space, you are saying yes to the world. And the world is not neutral. The world is not neutral. The world is not unbiased. The world is not impartial. Yes, Jesus and the church absolutely has an agenda for your life, okay? But so does the world. Do not think that the world has no agenda for your life. The world wants to shape you in the same way Jesus wants to shape you and transform you and conform you to his image. The world also wants to transform you and conform you to its image. Don't think that if you say no to Jesus, you can just figure things out. You automatically are in a non-neutral space. And I'm not saying that it's all bad, and it's all terrible, but you have to understand that if you choose not to follow Jesus, you are choosing to follow something or someone else. Most people who leave the faith don't think about that. You think you're kind of like just going to figure it out. But the world has a current. The world has a flow. The world has a direction. The world has a path. Society has a way. And if you step away from Jesus and enter into the world, slowly you will be moving in that direction and you won't even know it. So you have to ask this question before you go. Before you go, college students, high school students, before you go, new grads entering a new place, people who have moved to a different place... You, you, you need to ask the question before you go, and this is the question. If I choose not to follow Jesus, who or what will I follow instead? You, have to, you owe it to yourself to ask this question. If I choose, and, and you have the freedom. I, I'm not going to force you. I can't force you. Your parents can't force you to follow Jesus. Only you can decide that. So, But at least ask the question. If I choose not to follow Jesus, who or what will I follow instead? Super important question for you to ask. Because if not, you'll be swept away by the current and the tide of the world when you thought that you were in a safe place. The world is not a safe place to figure things out. It has an agenda for your life. So this... this. This is what we want to get into for the next four weeks. What is the world or society's agenda for you? When we step away from Jesus and we enter into space that we thought was neutral, but it's not, what is actually going on and what, how would it actually impact and influence your life? And that's what we're going to get into for the next three weeks, especially, you know, after the four weeks starting, you know, today. And we're going to look at what the world and society has to offer and what it's kind of saying and we're going to compare and contrast that to the kingdom of God and the way of Jesus. And see, I'm hoping that at least by the end of the series, maybe you're not 100% sure, like, oh, yeah, I'm following Jesus 100%. I'm hoping that at the end of the series, you at least be willing to stop and pause and stop the direction you're going in. Just to think about what you're actually deciding. And whether this is the direction you truly want to go. All right, so this world and the society that we're talking about... Right now, the official term for that, there's actually an official term for kind of the way of life in this world right now in this moment in 2020. And it's kind of been going on for a long time. And that word is secularism. Secularism. Right? And I don't want to talk too much about like fancy words because you know people always get lost. But this is the official term for like the world today. The mindset of the world. The path and the values of the world. It's called secularism right now. We live in it. Right, like we live in it. You go to school, you go to work, you're in secularism. Right, you go to, you go to the, the supermarket, you go to Starbucks, you're in it. I'm not, like, I'm not trying to like say it's so negative and so bad, but it's just everywhere. This is the path and flow of our world. This kind of secularism type of ideology. And what secularism is ultimately trying to do, it's actually trying to do a really good thing. Okay, secularism, like many human ideologies in the past... What it's trying to do is make the world a better place, which is a good thing, right? It's trying to make the world a better place. In fact, it's trying to make the world a perfect place. The aim and goal of secularism is a really, really awesome world. But it wants to do that, and it believes it can do that in let me talk a little bit about what secularism is really about, what, what it really wants to do. The world that it wants to create, it's really funny because the world secularism wants to create is actually very similar to this thing we call the kingdom of God. All right? The world that secularism wants to create is a world of love and acceptance, of peace of meaning, of community, of of justice and equality, of grace, of thankfulness, appreciation, all these fantastic things, right? Like all these wonderful things that we want in our world, right? If we could live in a world like that, we'd be like, yes, the kingdom of God, that's what it's all about. It's meaningful, it's... I'm, I'm at peace in this place. I have a community that is real and I'm accepted and love and I'm, I'm grateful and I'm not stressed out and I'm not anxious because I have a purpose and, you know, I trust and all this awesome stuff. That's the world that secularism wants to create. But the world of secularism wants to create it without God. And it thinks that you can create a world that's perfect without God. So essentially what it's saying, the, the goal of secularism is this. The kingdom without the king. The kingdom without the king. Let's create a world that is like the kingdom of God, but we don't need Jesus. We don't need all the attachments and the commitments and the obligations of following Jesus. We can get rid of that and in and of ourselves we can create this wonderfully amazing society where everyone is accepted, everyone is loved, everyone is treated equally. And people are taken care of and there's community and there's meaning and purpose Let's do it. That's what secularism said. And so that's why it's like actually a really good thing that it's trying to create. The kingdom without the king. Now before we get all crazy and be like, oh, that's so bad. Secularism, all the people who like don't believe in God. try to build a kingdom without a king. You can't do that. before we point those fingers, what's, what's the saying? If you, point, if you point to someone with one finger, you have three fingers pointing back to you. Because let's be honest, we see this in the church all the time, guys. Like we in the church can easily try to build the kingdom of God in our lives, in our church, in our families without the king. I'm going to step on some toes right now. All right. I just need you guys to prepare yourself. I'm going to step on some toes. (laughs) Because a couple ways I've seen this in the church. Number one is legalism. Legalism is one form of trying to create the kingdom of God without the king. Legalism where you depend on rules and behavior to earn God's favor and earn his love and earn salvation. That's you trying to build the kingdom of God without Jesus. Without, I don't need his sacrifice. I don't need the cross. I don't need a resurrection. I got good behavior. So I can live out the kingdom of God. I can make it into the kingdom of God. I don't need Jesus. That is the kingdom without the king. The other form of this is what we call consumerism. It's consumer church. It's when you come to church and the person you're really worshiping is yourself is when you come to church and you think what can the church do for me? What can the church give me? I don't want to go to this church because I don't like the music. I don't want to go to this church because I don't like the pastor. I don't want to go to this church because I don't like how it's not taking care of me. I don't want to go to this church because no one seems to care about me. That mindset of where you are the center, that consumerism, that is the kingdom without the king. That is the kingdom without the king. That's replacing the king with you. And what I've seen, the most dangerous version, the most, the most like secretive, the most subtle, the most like scary version of this. You guys ready? Is this mindset of I don't really believe in God or I'm not really so sure, but whew, I'm getting nervous, guys. I want to raise my kids in church. I got chills right now. I'm a little nervous about what people are thinking. and No amen. I got one amen over here. Thank you, Yumi, but no other amens. But let's think about that. That idea of like, you know, I'm not sure if I really believe, but I want my kids to grow up in church. What are you saying? I want my kids to get the benefits of church, but I don't need to actually believe. That's the kingdom without the king. You want the community that church gives... You want the morality that church gives. You want the experience that church gives. But I don't really want to follow him. That's the kingdom without the king. And I know, and I know there are so many people with that thinking. And as pastors, we actually have appreciated that. We're like, all right, we'll just come. We'll just come. And I know you're not coming to church now, but once you have kids, you'll come back. We've encouraged it we're building the kingdom without the king and the church if we're saying it's okay for you to not believe, not follow, and just live this life where I just want my kids to be in church. Here's the thing, guys. If you want your kids, I'm speaking to the parents. If you want your kids to gain the blessings and all the positive things for the, that the church offers, the best way to do this is not to stick them in a building with other Christians. Christians who will disappoint, Christians who will who will isolate, Christians who maybe will bully even bad bad people, bad sinners, that's not the way you give your kids the blessings of church. The way you give the, your kids the blessings of church is if you live and model a life following the way of Jesus. That's how you give your kids the blessings of church. I'm preaching today, man. I'm preaching. I'm feeling it. I'm preaching today. If you want your kids to grow up in church and have all of that, follow Jesus. That's the best way. That's the best way. We have the kingdom of God without the king in our churches and in our lives and in our families. So listen, we don't have to, we're not trying to point the finger to the world. Because we got it, the world in us as well. That's what I'm saying. It's not neutral. Right? Even followers of Jesus, those of you guys who love God so much and you pray every day and you've been in church and... You're never, ever going to leave. Even you feel the pull and push and tug of the world every single day. Every single month. Every single year. You know it. It's not neutral. And so this is what secularism wants to do. It wants to build a kingdom without the king. And so let me, before you kind of like, oh, are you sure, is that really how the world, let me describe, explain what what secularism looks like, what the world looks like. And you tell me if this is not our world, right. What the secularism first values the most is unlimited freedom. Unlimited freedom. Like that's what the world wants. Like we want to just be free. We wanna be completely and utterly free with no limitations, no one telling me what to do, no one stopping me from what I wanna do, right? This is why I think we're so obsessed with money, okay? We're obsessed with money not because of money, but because money, what does it bring? Freedom. Like this idea of I can't do something because I don't have enough money, we don't wanna live with that. And especially the idea of I don't want my kids. To not be able to do something or have something because we don't have money. Like, I get it. I get that feeling. I'm a pastor. I make no money and I have children. I get that feeling, dude. So we want the freedom to be able to do whatever. We want to buy whatever. We want to go wherever. We want freedom. We don't want to be shackled in any way. Like, that's isn't that not the world that we live in? Like, freedom is one of the highest values. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to think. But this freedom is, is kind of like we can see it in two, in two ways. The first is in unlimited options and what I call anti-authority. All right, so let me, let me explain this. There was a time that when you watched TV in the past, you could only watch what was on TV. I know, that's crazy, right? Like there was a time where you would turn on the TV and if on one channel was like Spongebob Squarepants... You couldn't just watch something else. You had to watch that. If if Gilligan's Island was on, or MASH, or whatever, you can't just like, I don't want to watch Gilligan's Island. I'll watch some other show. You couldn't do that because that was the only thing that's on. But now, that's ridiculous, right? right? We have Netflix where you have... Every show imaginable at your fingertips, you can, if you don't want to watch that, you can watch that or, that or that or that or that or that or that at any time at any place. Like I remember when I was like thinking about TV or Netflix, should I get cable at my house or, or not? I had a Netflix account and I went through this struggle. Did you guys go through this struggle? Ah, I like Netflix but I just want to watch live TV sometimes. Did you guys ever go through this struggle? Like, I feel like I still kind of need live TV. You fast-forward one year later, I do not need live TV. I don't care about live TV. I never need live TV ever again. You feeling me? You know what I'm talking about, right? I don't need that because I got Netflix. I have unlimited options. I can watch anything. I mean, think about the options that we have at the supermarket. Like how many cereals there are. Right? Think about your coffee order. right? There was a time where you could order coffee. Coffee with cream. And maybe a latte. Like that was it a long time ago. But now you can have orders that take 10 seconds to order. Right? You can be like, I want a latte, 16 ounce. We have half soy, half oat, half almond milk. Like how are you going to do that? But no, I want that. I want hazelnut, vanilla syrup. I want two pumps, three pumps. I want you to stir it two times this way and thir- five times this way. And gives me a drink. Like, like we can have that kind of, we have those options. Because we love options. There's only one place I don't want options, and it's in and out I don't need options there. I just want what they got. But everywhere else, like, I want options, man. Right? Is that, like, is that not our world? Unlimited freedom. Unlimited options. And this, this idea of anti-authority. And so it's a little bit different, but it's the same, same, same coin, different side, where, where we, we resist and we're suspicious of authority. We don't want people to tell us what to do. We don't want people to tell us what to think. We don't want people to tell us what to believe. And so if you're going to be that kind of authority on my life, I'm going to push back on you. Let me figure out myself. Let me do me. You do you. That is like the slogan of secularism. Let me just figure it out. You can't tell me what to do. I know you're my parents and you raised me and you gave birth to me and you gave me life. But you can't actually tell me who I am and what I want to do. And and, and this, you, you, my boss, you can't tell me what to do. I'll follow you, but I'm not going to do really want it. But you can't really affect me like that. I I don't want to just do what tradition tells me to do. I don't want to just do what ritual tells me to do. I want to push back. I want to rebel against tradition and authority. And I want to find my own way. I want to find my own path. That's our world that we live in. So this is kind of like how the world, secularism believes we can create this like utopia, this perfect society. And the second thing that's huge for this, this kind of way of thinking is the pursuit of pleasure. Like this is what everybody wants. We just want pleasure. We want to feel good. We don't want to do things that don't make us feel good. We don't want to have the conversations that make us feel bad. And so it's okay that we're not going to have a close relationship, but let's just not make each other feel bad. Right? Like we, we don't want to have the experiences that are, are challenging and troubling We just want to maximize pleasure and minimize pain. We want to maximize comfort, minimize discomfort. This is our world that we live in. And secularism or the world that we live in says if we have all these things, if this becomes the way of life, unlimited freedom, unlimited options, anti-authority, and pleasure, we're going to have a perfect world. And everyone's going to be perfectly, perfectly fine. Here's the problem. The world we live in is the result of this. And the world is not so great, and it actually has gotten worse. You could argue, over the years, and this and people are doing this. And we have unlimited options. We have unlimited. Do you guys know that there's a credit card called Chase Freedom? And some of you guys have that, Chase Freedom. And do you know they have another called called literally Chase Freedom Unlimited? We have that. That's what we got right now. We have unlimited freedom. You can go anywhere. Okay, not with COVID. You can't go anywhere right now. But normally you could go anywhere. You could move anywhere. You could visit anywhere. You could visit Antarctica if you wanted to. You could. We have unlimited choice, options, freedom, all this stuff. We have so many things that make us feel good, entertainment, and we have all these things. But the world is still messed up. See, that's the problem with secularism. It says we're going to create a perfect world, but it has not. The proof is in, as they say, the pudding. Because the world can't do that. And it never could. Right? Think about what, what it's saying. It's saying we can take a bunch of people, sinners, and not give them a savior, and not give them a God, not give them a king, and we're going to figure everything out? Come on. That doesn't work. See, what we believe as Christians, as believers, is we don't have the ability to live life well by ourselves. We need God instead. We need him to change us and and shape us so that we can eventually live in this place that is wonderful and that we call the kingdom of God. See, what happened was the world gave all of us freedom, but we didn't know how to use it. Like, we didn't know what to do with this unlimited freedom. And so we use it to, to take care of ourselves and be selfish and help, help not help other people. And we use it to, to, to just take care of ourselves and, and do our own thing. We're given unlimited choices and unlimited options. And then instead of being just so happy about that, we have more anxiety than ever. Because we freak out about so many of the options. We're like, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to pick. I don't know what to do. What if I make a mistake? You know, I don't know what to do. Right? We have so many options, but we have anxiety. We, we, we said we want to create a world of acceptance where, where people are loved. But instead we have tribalism and we have conflict and we have division. Like we're seeing that this is not the solution. Right, this secularism, this, this way of the world, this non-neutral space. We're seeing cracks. Because the world we live in is a result of that ideology and, and, and of that thinking. So here's what the point of this whole sermon series is. I'm going to lay it out for you guys. It's basically this. The world slash secularism is not the answer. It is not the answer. It is not the answer that this world is looking for. And it is not the answer we're looking for. The kingdom without the king does not work. We need the king. We need the king. Amen. Amen. It does not work. It does not work for a nation and a society, and it does not work for families, and it does not work for individuals. The kingdom without the king absolutely does not work. The apostle Paul calls stuff like this. This is what he calls in Colossians chapter 2. Listen to what he says. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. That is Paul talking about secularism it is hollow has no substance and it has no power it has no power maybe it feels good and seems good on the outside but once you bite into it you got nothing but air and it has nothing to really it is not the answer it is not what we're looking for secularism the world it will not satisfy the longings of your soul for love and grace and peace and community, it cannot give you that. It cannot give you that. And I know what you're, you're thinking. You're thinking, I know what he's going to say next. And you guys are smart. And you're exactly right. The world can't do that. But Jesus can. And I'm going to say it like that. And I know it's maybe cheesy. And I know maybe you've heard it a million times. But Jesus can fulfill the longings of your soul. He can change things. Because in him is Power. He is not, what he offers, his way of life is not hollow and deceptive. It is true and is full of life and abundant life and power. The way of Jesus, the kingdom of God with the king, that's what I believe we need. So before you go, think, if I say no to Jesus, do I want to say yes to the world? Do I want to say yes to a hollow and deceptive philosophy that will make me think that I am free, but in fact I will become enslaved? Do I want to make that choice? See, the narrative of secularism is not what you're looking for. But the narrative of the gospel, the story, and the reality and the truth of the gospel. Of a being, like never mind the fact that he's God of heaven and earth, unlimited, omnipotent, but any being, right? This being loved you so much that he died for you on a cross. He came to this world, became someone just like you, lived life on this world, was crucified, died for you to take your punishment on himself that he didn't deserve, and was resurrected. And he beat death and he conquered death for you so he could be with you for eternity. That story, that narrative, that truth, that reality, that is what satisfies the longings of our souls. I saw this quote this morning that was just like so good that I had to throw it in the service from David Asherick. He says, the central truth of the cross, listen to this, the central truth of the cross is that God values you more than his own eternal existence. has blew my mind this morning when I read that. That, that will give you peace. That will give you meaning. That will give you purpose. The world can't do that. The world can't give you meaning, purpose, community, love. It can't do any of that. But this can. So last year, I'm going to close with this. Last year on this very day, some of you guys know, or, or, and some of you guys don't know this, but last year on April 3rd, 2020, my brother went into the hospital. This was one year ago. You guys on the know what I'm about. my brother got super sick, almost died. This was literally exactly one year ago. I was at church. It was Friday night. We're getting ready for Friday night live, and I got a call from my sister-in-law it says, Chris, your brother's in the hospital. He's sick. He can't breathe. We think he has COVID. Turns out, we wished it was COVID. It was necrotizing fasciitis. Flesh-eating bacteria. I know. Like, what? Who gets that? Living in LA. But my brother does. That's what happened. He's he's the person who gets that. And so a year ago, he goes into the hospital. Turns out he's on the brink of death. Like, I'm not exaggerating, guys. He is on the edge of death. We're not sure he's going to make it. We're trying to think about how we're going to tell my parents. How we're going to tell his three kids, his newest daughter who was born like just a few weeks before he went to the hospital. How are we going to talk to them about this? My sister-in-law is telling me, how am I going to live like this? I cannot live without him. He's on the edge of death. But eight surgeries later, He lives. And my sister-in-law talks about how there was like miracle after miracle after miracle. And not just medical miracles. We had plenty of those. Like the doctors were like, this is a miracle. That he's alive. Right? And for you guys, you physicians, you know what I'm talking about. You know how dangerous it is. And some of you guys, thank you. You, you decided to tell me the horror stories after he was okay. But you know, it was like he had a slim chance and he was on the edge of death. But my, my God. It's the closest thing that I ever experienced to resurrection. He was on the brink and the edge of death and God saved his life. But it wasn't just medical miracles. It was like relational miracles and spiritual miracles and emotional miracles that happening all throughout that month. He was in the hospital for a month. And my, my sister-in-law and my brother, they always tell me, man, it was just crazy like... These people would come and say the right thing at the right time, at the right place. And it just made everything better. Friends, family, even strangers, we had no idea who they were, were somehow encouraging us and helping us through this time. So God didn't just save my brother's life. He saved my brother's soul. He saved my sister-in-law's soul last year. Because they say, for the first time ever, I experienced God last year. The world cannot do that. The world and its ideologies and its temptations cannot bring a man from death back to life. It cannot bring a man who is at the edge of death back to life. Can't do that. It can't save a soul. It can't transform a heart. It can't change a mind. It can't give purpose. It can't give meaning. It can't it has no power. So why would we choose that instead of Jesus? Before you go, think about what you're choosing to follow or who you're choosing to follow. You know, we celebrate that the resurrection this weekend and the resurrection shows us the power of God and what he can do. And it reminds me of what he did in my family's life last year. And I'm eternally, eternally grateful. The world can't do that. The world cannot bring hope. And the world cannot give you peace. And the world cannot give you life. But the king, he can. So before you go, think about who you want to follow. Before you leave the faith you grew up in, before you move to college and maybe question and wonder, which is all good. It's all good. It's important to question and doubt and think and and, and talk about stuff and figure stuff out. Before you leave, think about who you want to follow. Now, it's really important for the rest of this series that you join us. Because we're just scratching the surface today. There is so much to get through to understand why it's so much more important. Why it's so much better to choose Jesus than the world. And so I really want to encourage every single one of you guys to come back next week. If you're watching online, watch and join us next week. Because it's, without the next few weeks, it's kind of actually meaningless today. Like this is like, you just, okay, it sounds good. And you're just going to throw it away. But it's the next few weeks that we really need you to join us. So here's my call to action. Just join us next week. Listen to part two of Before You Go. And especially if you're at a place where you're like, I don't know about this Jesus thing anymore. If you're just questioning, I just want you to take a pause. Just for this month, for this month, can you just like take a pause and your steps out the door and just think and give God a chance to speak into your life and to draw you back. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this, for this time. And Lord, I just want to offer praise and give you glory for what you did a year ago for my brother, for my sister-in-law, for our family. Thank you, thank you, thank you, God. And Lord, um, I know that for me, the world has nothing to offer. But I know that we constantly live being pulled and tempted by the world and its thinking and its ideology. We want freedom and we want choices and we want pleasure. But God, let us remember, Father, that you offer so much more than that. You give us true freedom. You give us truth. And you give us joy. And, Father, you give us hope and life. And, Father, on the cross, 2,000 years ago, when you died for us and you were resurrected and we celebrate that today, we see the proof of that power, that resurrection power, Lord. Thank you for directing that power, that grace, that love to each and every one of us. Thank you so much. Lord, if there's anyone who is thinking about disengaging from their faith and leaving their faith, Lord, stop them in their tracks just for a moment. And Father, I pray that you would move on their hearts to open their minds and their eyes and their ears to what you have to say in this coming month. Thank you, Lord, in your name we pray. Amen.